2: Of the, our, uh, the Republican convention done. We're on day four, the final day. The day the big chief comes into town. Actually, he's been there every day. He's a candidate that can't leave the convention. I think I saw him locking up
3: yesterday. Aren't they always at the convention? Every year, they're just not on TV? I they're in the background watching maybe. in some suite somewhere? Yeah, maybe. I think I wouldn't show.
2: I wouldn't show up till the last day. Why? It's your party. No, I'd spend three and a half days
3: getting my hair ready. If I were Donald, I'd get a a tan. I don't know. He landed in a helicopter yesterday and his hair didn't move. So I think he's got his hair down. (laughs) I think there's a problem there.
2: It's the the convention. It's big news. We'll get into that today. We got to talk about uh, the, um, I guess, what do we want to call it? Just the the Ted Cruz. The non endorsement? The non endorsement. Vote your conscience. He got booed. Major booed, and uh, we'll get into that, of course. Plus, um, a little bit later, we'll be talking about digital credibility with – now you can get your news on Facebook, but they're borrowing the news from other places. So now the news is no longer attached to a name like the New York Times always. It's not always directly connected. You don't know the news is coming from the New York Times if you're reading it on – Maybe on Facebook, if you're not right. looking for it.
3: Or or now, as we've uh, actually had uh, reporters on from BuzzFeed, yeah. yeah, they have actual political news, actual news-gathering operations going on, but it's BuzzFeed. Yeah, is that legitimate? So you have a serious story next to some cat picture or some list of random <laughs> stuff they throw up on their website, yeah. but it's next to actual reporting, and it sometimes... L- they lose credibility that way in some people's minds. We'll talk about and that. And
2: Columbia, the great journalism school, they've done a study to see if this impacts whether you trust the news or not. So we'll be talking to one of the authors of the study. Pretty interesting news there. We'll get to that. And, of course, you know, just latest and greatest insights into the news stories, many of which you need, some of which you never would have heard of.
3: Speaking of more Pokemon news. Good.
2: <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. Why did
3: that look like it was painful I don't know, for you? Because you I went, can't believe Guh. you just said that. But I just
2: I did a, I did on television locally here in Utah I did a, an entire segment on how to maximize
3: face or Pokemon why yeah,
2: Pokemon Go
3: do you even know how to play
2: Yeah I got it on my I hate it
3: Yeah I hate it Sure I almost crashed Which means you love it
2: No I but well, you're not I supposed won't. to use it when you drive Oh well yeah now you tell me <laughs> But there was one right there in the crosswalk Yeah I know it's really really tempting And I'm like Do I hit it or do I just snatch it with a pokeball (laughs) so i pokeballed it we'll be getting to all of this exciting news but first let's get to the headlines with sadie Nilsson. sadie what's going on around the rest of the country
4: the secret service is officially investigating al Balbacero, an advisor to the donald trump campaign who called for hillary clinton's execution for treason the u.s secret service is aware of the matter and will conduct the appropriate investigation a spokesman said Valdecero was expanding on a comment he made on Tuesday when he called for Clinton to be put in the firing line over her mishandling of classified emails. Cleveland police say about a dozen people have been taken into custody and will be arrested, arrested following a chaotic protest near the arena housing. Of The Republican National Convention. 10 to 16 people are awaiting charges to be made. The arrest happened as a protest group tried to burn a flag near Quicken Loans Arena. Police officers say that two officers were injured, uh, having minor injuries, and they were assaulted during the flag burning. Um, Donald Trump finally acknowledged the plagiaristic points of Melania's speech she gave on Monday. Employee Meredith McIver wrote the speech, including exact portions from the Michelle Obama's 2008 convention speech, calling McIver a very good person. Trump told ABC News people make mistakes. You've made mistakes. We all make mistakes. Meredith McIver will not be fired for her error. Texas restrictive voter ID law was struck down on Wednesday by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And a 203-page opinion, the federal court found the law to be in direct violation of the Voting Rights Act because it discriminates against minorities. And finally... Uh, yesterday was the 47th anniversary of the Apollo 11th emish- mission, which successfully took m- the man to the moon for the first time ever. However, more than half of British adults think it was a scam. It is recorded that 52% of people in the UK believe that Neil Armstrong's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind speech was recorded somewhere on Earth.
3: It was a soundstage <laughs> in Orange Not County. in space. Was that it? <laughs> That's where it was. I don't know. Yeah, something didn't look right about that whole the
2: video. Well done, Sadie. Thank you so much. Um, interesting headlines. Uh, Marilyn, I, I think it's Marilyn MacGyver. Her dad is the the, the well-known MacGyver, the guy on the television no. show that could no. turn a paperclip into a deadly weapon.
3: It's not that guy. I'm pretty sure she apparently is the one that wrote the speech for Melania. That's what she says, or what she was told to say. So they could felt just end the sight. Yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> just say what we're going to tell you to say.
2: Just say it. Uh, anyway,
3: I guess problem solved. Well, after two and a half days, yeah, where well, they could have just said this from the beginning. Melania this is the truth. Said, "Hey, there's I've... four different versions of what happened. They put out yeah. that didn't."
2: The get... the deal is, I think everybody's everybody's talking about how Donald just doesn't know how to run a campaign, but I, I honestly think. He doesn't want to run – he's not running a campaign the way a normal politician would run a campaign because
3: it's stupid Mm -hmm. to do it that way. Everyone else did it that way. Let's do it differently.
2: Like everybody keeps talking about the need to unify the party. But last night there was this major supposed embarrassment. All the media is like that. was so embarrassing that Cruz would say that. How would the Trump campaign not know that Cruz wasn't going to endorse him? Well, they knew he wasn't going to endorse him. But, and Trump was fine with that because it's, it's just – in fact, he played him. I think he played Cruz. Yeah. He, he then set up people to boo against him, and right there you saw a unified
3: front. Trump's confident that he has the room Yeah, and anyone against him is not going to be successful. As and he was correct. Trump seems to have unified the party
2: against Hillary and against Ted Cruz. Party unified. Except all the media are like, he is so not unifying the party. I don't think that was his goal. No. His goal is to unify. He only needs to do enough to win. He doesn't need to, you know, have everybody loving each other. Let's uh, listen to Ted Cruz. This is what he said about voting your conscience.
1: And to those listening, please
5: don't stay home in November. If you love our country and love your children as much as I know that you do... Stand and speak and vote your conscience, vote for candidates up and down the ticket who you trust to defend our freedom and to be Ooh. faithful to
1: the Constitution.
3: So is that applause or is that a boo? It was mixed. Yeah. I think people like the sentiment they understood, but kind of the underlying uh-huh. message is I'm not endorsing I'm not Trump. It. I'm not I'm not going to endorse Trump. And so
2: apparently uh delegates booed Ted.
5: We will unite the party, we will unite the country by standing together for shared values, by standing for liberty. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless the United States of America. So
3: they're they're booing him, They're, they're chanting, keep your promise. Yeah. Because, or you know, keep your pledge. Because all seventeen of the Republican, you know, so that stepped up to try to run for president, they all signed a pledge saying they would vote for the nominee. But no, and if you remember, uh, Ted was one of the bigger kiss ups to Donald. Yeah. for months they they appeared at several yeah. events together because they they felt that united front would beat everyone else, which it did. Yeah and then he was sure Donald would
2: then be eliminated which he wasn't which he wasn't um and so this vote your conscience thing was a big deal in fact Ted Cruz's wife needed to be escorted <laughs> off the floor
3: because people were so mad at her yeah.
2: like it was they ugly. were
3: yelling at her and so they they sent some security out there to help and her he, out well,
2: and he made a direct comment to the New York uh
3: Group the the group from New York. Yes, he, he disrespected the delegation from the New delegation York was screaming at him, and he goes, "I appreciate the yeah. the what the energetic response or however he put it from, from New York." And
2: mm. <laughs> so then New Gingrich gets up, and by the way, uh, Ted Cruz took twenty three minutes.
3: He was supposed to take eight. Yeah, so that's an oversight. If people were wondering if if the Trump campaign knew what was going on <laughs> when you when you hand over the the thick uh, speech rather than the the quick one you're supposed to
2: get, and everyone's like, "See, this is just being mismanaged by Donald Trump," but then I I think Donald's using this. Again, it just shows you that Cruz is the liar that Donald said he was for how many months? Remember lying, Ted Cruz, lying, Ted. Uh, then Newt Gingrich got up, tried to clarify. I, all, by the way, ad lib. This part was ad lib because he didn't know exactly what Cruz was going to say in the end. But So he ended up ad-libbing a lot of this.
6: I think you misunderstood one paragraph that Ted Cruz, who was, who was a superb orator, said. And I just want to point it out to you. Ted Cruz said, you can vote your conscience
7: for anyone who will uphold the Constitution. In this election... There is only one candidate who will uphold the Constitution.
3: There you have it. Spin it back at Hillary again.
2: Boom. (laughs) Take that. Uh, Interesting. And then after um, doing a little kind of cleanup after the the big convention, Chris Christie takes on Ted Cruz. Remember, Chris Christie's the guy that never seemed to be able to overcome the snub to Romney when he chose Obama – for the New Jersey, remember when they had the hurricanes in New Jersey and all the yes. flooding in New Jersey, and that was like right before the election. And you and, see him and walking. He turned to Obama, right with him, flying of in the helicopter. A yeah. Yeah. and and that maybe many would say apparently impacted Christie's viability. But this
3: is afterwards with CNN.
2: He listen to Chris Christie's take on what uh, Ted said.
3: I think it was awful, and quite frankly, I think it was selfish. And uh, uh, he signed a pledge, and it's his job to keep his word. And And Donald Trump gave him the opportunity to speak here at this convention tonight, and I think um, it was too cute, and I think you saw by the end of the speech that the crowd was waiting for him to do the right thing and realized that, once again, he wasn't going to do it. And I think the performance you saw up there is why Ted has so richly deserved the reputation that he's developed on Capitol Hill.
2: Hmm. Wow, good point. <laughs> People don't like him. Remember, they, they don't like him. And now they don't like him in a lot of places. But apparently setting up his 2012 run.
3: 2020.
2: Or sorry, but yeah, 2020 run. Yeah. Go he, we yeah, already, don't go backwards. We, we were already there. Do not go backwards. Uh, I loved, however, a few things last night. I love, I really like to hear from Trump's kids. Yeah. I think they are the better Trump.
3: All th- Trump's. A lot of uh, people writing about a, a new political dynasty, possibly with yeah. if there's any political aspirations from his kids. They th- Apparently,
2: they, Donald Jr. wants to do. They something They kind of later. see
3: them really kind of seeing for the first time what this looks like, how this feels to be a politician, and mm-hmm. to have you know everyone's interest and sort of that adrenaline rush, and they they seem to like that. And they're they're smart,
2: they're well educated, they're well mannered. They don't they're not like
3: their father. <laughs> Their hair looks normal. So, yeah. Yeah. He, um,
2: I also, for the first time, had never heard uh, Mike Pence speak, and I loved hearing that. That was, wow, he's a good man. Interesting man. Great
3: family. The minute he started introducing grandma, you got bored. I turned on because I, I was on Twitter and it said that he's going to speak. And I, OK, so I flip it on. And well, <laughs> he starts talking about his mom and his wife. I'm like, oh.
2: But he creates a balance again to the ticket. That, oh, OK. There's the, like the grown up. There's the guy. He says that. And he's. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it was a big night. Woo. Actually,
3: play clip 10 real quick.
5: You know, he's a a man known for a large personality, a a colorful style, and lots of charisma. And so I guess he was just looking for some
2: balance on the ticket. There you go. (laughs) But he's just folksy. He's
3: safe, Mm -hmm. but super smart, well-meaning, motivational. He's good. As one of the comedy shows said, he's straight out of conservative Republican central casting. Yeah. Just if you think of... What that person looks like, right. that's him. Safe, protected. There was all this talk. Apparently, Kasich's people said that uh, Donald had offered him the vice presidency. He said that, I think it was Eric Trump, yeah. spoke with him and said, you could be vice president. He goes, what does that mean? And he said, you could take care of domestic and foreign policy. Yeah. And he goes, and what would what would Trump do? And he said, he would make America great again. He'd be, he'd be ma- but Eric Trump was on uh, MSNBC
2: this morning saying, are you kidding yeah. Why would we say that? That doesn't – that's not real. Why would Kasich make it up? Yeah. They say Kasich probably didn't, but one of Kasich's people. Ah. It sounds just like one of Kasich's people, and they were, like, insinuating this one person. But I think in the end, uh, that's the reason Kasich – he just wanted to run away from it. But he didn't pull a cruise. He didn't come in and speak and not endorse. Rubio still had an appearance. He was By video. By video. And I don't know if, did he actually endorse Trump? I think he didn't. I think well, he I just think generally was, said, God bless America. Yeah. It's a line you can always use when you can't endorse somebody. One more night. Tonight's tonight. And again, Donald will be speaking tonight, and uh, his daughter will be speaking. So one more, folks. And then guess what? You'll have the weekend off, and then you'll get to do this all for the Democrats. Isn't this great? And then you'll know. Then you'll know exactly what you need to do. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about digital credibility. Who do you believe nowadays as a journalist? What news organizations do you trust? Is Facebook a news organization? Is BuzzFeed? Well, apparently they are, and uh, it might be impacting how you see journalism. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. back friends to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, whether we wait on the local newspaper to be thrown out on our porch or we go straight to websites on our smartphones, we all consume the news in some way. And as could be expected with the digital age uh, upon us, much has changed in how we go about, uh, you know, accumulating news and also how we go about uh, accessing it. Here's the dilemma. Is if I'm, if I'm reading news on Facebook and it just happens to be a link to another news source, I may not ever care necessarily about the credibility of where this news source is coming from. And a lot of uh, journalists have been wondering if their value of their name brand, like the New York Times, is it dropping as we have now entered more of the digital age? Does, does the name brand journalism matter anymore? And how do you know what journalists to trust So Columbia Journalism Review conducted a study aimed at answering the question, do brands even matter anymore? Danny Funt, a journalist for the Columbia Journalism Review, joins me now by telephone to discuss the findings of this study. Uh, Danny Funt, welcome to the show, my friend.
6: Hi, good morning,
2: Great to have you here. This, uh, you know, I was a journalism student and back in the day, your name meant everything. And if you could somehow attach your name to one of these big brands, the New York Times, uh, you know, maybe the LA Times or, or, or one of these big organizations, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, it meant it meant credibility. What are you finding, Danny, with the digital age? What's happening to credibility?
6: Well, obviously, there's a lot to be concerned about, right? I mean, you see habits, uh, reader habits on social media, and it seems like what you're looking for is the catchiest headline or the most, um, you know, it- it- enticing photograph or whatever, and not always uh, uh, an ongoing relationship with a publication, which is what we're used to. Yeah. So um, it doesn't seem from our study that things are as bad as it, as we mm-hmm. might have thought. But uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on.
2: Do you think the brands, do they matter as much as they used to?
6: No, I think that there's no way to say that. Um, it depends on the reader. It depends on, on the medium. Uh, we were looking at online reading habits where, you know, you you might be finding one article here, one article there. You might not even be paying attention to where you're reading it, um, but that's it's it's worth reminding ourselves that that's only one segment of the
7: pie.
2: Yeah. Did t- talk about the study. Talk about how you did it and how you what uh, how, how you kind of uh, got your database together. What questions you asked and, and what were what was your overall goal for the study? What was your hypothesis?
6: Mm-hmm. So we were thinking. Uh, I was a. Uh, a fellow at the Columbia at the Columbia Journalism Review, um, which is published out of the Columbia Journalism School, we were thinking about some of the stuff we were just discussing and thought of this very simple idea that if you look at the New Yorker website, let's say, and you look at Buzzfeed, just the aesthetic gives a different sense of what kind of journalism you might be dealing with. Right. Not to say anything bad about one or the other, but That alone um, conveys something to the reader. So, with the help of a uh, uh, postdoctoral psychologist out of Yale, we were able to put together an experiment where we found uh, several hundred people through um, an Amazon service that connects you with uh, experiment participants. We paid, and we took a long form magazine article. And put it in the shell, if you will, of the New Yorker and mm. the Buzzfeed and as a third uh, sort of neutral um uh control publication and wanted to see if people read this same long, thoroughly reported, credible story, um, if if their perception of it would change change simply because of uh the publication they thought they were reading it yeah. uh, in.
2: And, and you found because I mean the New Yorker's got such a different image style, you know, appearance than the than Buzzfeed. Uh, what what were your findings then?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, comforting to know that uh, people generally trusted the New Yorker a little bit more, but they also trusted Buzzfeed, so hmm. it wasn't some night and day uh, print is is. Uh, Print is reliable and the web is, is the opposite. It was it – was, uh, reader, readers trusted both, but they still gave uh, a slight preference to The New Yorker.
2: And it sounds like they, they trust name brands because the, the third one, um, kind of the baseline uh, paper or um, what would you call it, a, approach or offering didn't, didn't mm-hmm. fare as well.
6: Right. Yeah, I mean, I would hope if if you're <laughs> if you're encountering a publication you've never heard of that's that's, you know, who knows what it is, um hopefully. I don't I think it's a a good habit to um give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to places where you've been before and know provide reliable journalism.
2: Do do you think I mean, I guess that's um I mean, we've seen situations where even the Onion um has tricked people right. into thinking that it was real news. Um, I don't know. I guess it would take a North Korean dictator to fall for that. But um, in the end, what do we – where do we go with this? Is it, is it that – because I was just doing this the other day on Facebook I because I read news on a bunch of different platforms and, and different um, – uh, you know offerings, but I saw all this news coming across my, uh, my Facebook feed that I had never heard before, and then I get in and start sourcing it, and you 're like, "Oh, huh, do people actually get in and just go source where it 's coming from?"
6: Well, you know to your point earlier about you know who could be fooled by an onion article, maybe that 's true, but my colleague Jack Murtha wrote a piece about this bizarre problem of journalists um finding news I guess at fake news sites that are just making up nonsense and running with it and, and oh wow and, and, and basing articles on yeah. it. And uh it happens more and more and at the pace that uh journalists online are expected to go, um it seems almost inevitable. So if that doesn't worry you about uh yeah about our, our trust in, in real reporting, I don't know
2: what does. Do you um do you sense that that this is going to get better? I mean, do you sense that is, is journalism, trusted journalism, kind of old Walter Cronkite, New York Times work, um, is this on the way out, or is, is there... I mean, it, it seems like we need it. We need it to be legit.
6: Sure. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to be too panicked right now. I think one thing, though, that's... Um, Concerning when you look at at uh, our relation our relationship with publications and our dependence on brands, is when you see these publications uh, that publish straight to certain social media platforms, right? So they're partnering with Facebook, in particular, and and the material appears first and only on Facebook, and so it seems like Facebook becomes a publication and. News sites are just the suppliers of content, and that's a weird dynamic from what we're used to. Yeah.
2: It, it's, uh, it also seems like the need for virility, um, to, to be a part of each story might be altering it as well. Maybe, I mean, newsline news organizations always had strong headlines, right, to draw the reader in, but the reader was already there because they had already bought the newspaper. <laughs> um mm-hmm. but now yeah. we're using the headline to actually create the this viral nature to the story itself and that carries it across other platforms.
6: Right, definitely. And even for for things that might not be viral, the amount of time an online reader tends to spend on on a piece of journalism is usually under a minute. I mean, it's really a, a scattered um reading environment. Uh so it's definitely not the type of, you know, uh, extended, you know, month to month, day to day, whatever it may be, relationship that you had with 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 print publications of the
2: past. Yeah, man, it's it's such an interesting uh, kind of age we're in. I think when when I, again, and then we heard the whole thing about Gawker and Thiel and I mean, Gawker's being brought down and Gawker's probably not even seen in the same realm as a BuzzFeed. I'm not sure. And definitely not a New York Times or a New Yorker does. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then but then there's a lot of talk now that, you know, the Drudge Report or the Drudge Report were the only ones that could have stopped Trump. So, I mean, Drudge 20 years ago, he's just an aggregator, right? With with a blog. But he's 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 a journalist, right? So is there a criteria for what makes a journalist now?
6: I hope so, yeah. And I think that that a lot of these sites aren't going too far in uh, taking writing from anywhere they can get it. Um, I think one, one weird thing, though, when you think about how people differentiate news sites is that even if it was just something aesthetic or in the the voice of the writing or the typeface, even there used to be a a desire to differentiate yourself. And you look on the websites of magazines that we all know and more and more because of the need to just pump content. um, It's almost impossible. They're all writing a lot of the same generic uh, copycat stuff Mm -hmm. and, And and based on that, you know, if if you find something on Twitter, who cares where you found it from?
2: Yeah, I I guess if it's all the same, so then really the job of of a great journalist is is really truly the innovation, the creation of anything new.
6: Yeah, and to your point about Drudge Report, one in our uh, research of what's out there already, one thing that I found very jarring was a Pew Research Center survey um, just this year of reader habits and preferences, mm-hmm. and they looked at 30 uh, news outlets across the political spectrum and across the intellectual spectrum from The Economist to, uh, I think, The Rush Limbaugh Show. And the there was the chunk that liberals trusted, they, conservatives absolutely didn't trust, and the Smaller chunks that conservatives trusted, liberals absolutely didn't trust. Mm. And when you have no, when you have no common ground, even when it comes to uh, TV news programs or national newspapers, that's alarming because y- you know you're getting a completely different right voice on one side than the
7: other. Oh man,
2: and, and you can see that, can't you? It's they, they've, I guess they've monetized by choosing their audience and vice versa. Um, wow, it's it's really interesting insight, and I think the study was um, was really important. As we wrap up, what would you say is, uh, what are some things we can be doing just as consumers and followers of journalism? Again, last night in the convention, we heard a lot about the media, right? A lot about the media. Right, right. And w- what can we do as consumers um, to make sure that we, we are getting legit, strong reporting? Well, you know, it's...
6: As I mentioned, it's it's hard for a journalist sometimes to to know that, let alone the average reader. Right. I'd say that you know you hear all the time your friends say, uh, "Hey, I read this great article. I found it on the web, wherever." Or, and and you might ask them, you know, do you even remember where you read that? And and more often than not, I found the answer is no, and that's that's an innocent mistake. But I think if we start simply by thinking about uh, who the writer is and who and what the publication is, and and if they have a, a track record of good journalism, you know, I I anyone who reads the New York Times knows that day after day there's um, concerns with with reporting practices and with editorial standards and whatever, but at least it's an ongoing discussion within one brand that's very transparent, and and I'd rather have that. As a reader, than clicking and clicking and, and not knowing what I'm finding. I yeah. think that that's never, never going to be the best path. Yeah, no, absolutely. To the journalism.
2: Well, Danny, thank you so much for your great work there at Columbia Columbia Journalism Review. Keep it up. Keep pushing and researching. Right. Take Thanks, care. Sir. Thanks Appreciate for being it. with us. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, man, it's your game, right? It, you got to be a, 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 an in, you know intelligent consumer go looking and, and make sure you're sourcing and knowing where it's coming from, not just taking what you see in social media. We'll take a break folks. We'll be right back continue the discussion right here to help you be a, a better person, live longer, love stronger this is the Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend show yeah you know the the media take it takes a hit every time the GOP get together they do not trust the media they're evil dark they're children of the dark and is it warranted is that fair Terry
3: could be because I think the majority are just trying to tell you what's happening. But they do say they do say, But yeah, on occasion, they do things where it makes you think like they have an agenda. They're trying to push you in a certain direction right. or they're just flat leaving information out and lying. And why
2: are they not talking about all of the abuse and the misuse and the misspending? Why are they not talking about all of the corruption in government? Why did they not? Why does the GOP and the Drudge Report have to push? The Hillary Clinton story. Why were the media not all over Benghazi? This is what the GOP all want to know. Mm-hmm. Why? 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 It's a conspiracy. But but is it? Well, it
3: seemed like it last night, according to the GOP. Yeah, they it, hate the media. I... I I follow – who do I follow? It's like but, CBS, I think, on Snapchat because, you know, why not? Hold on. You do? Yeah. You get on Snapchat and follow CBS? Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, the young, hip reporter because that's who, that's who's going to Snapchat. And they said when uh, – when, who was it? When someone called out the media as being a liar and everyone started cheering. So they're, like, you know, spanning around with the camera and people were really into it. And they're yelling down at the media yeah. pit of people, the cameras and stuff, just yelling at them, calling them scumbags and all this stuff. It's kind of funny. They – I I can't believe you're on Snapchat. <laughs> well, I don't do anything on Snapchat. It's I more just sort of observe and play with the filters. yeah, you play a lot with the filters. My kid and my nephews love it. Apparently, you do too. Well, I kind of it too, yeah. Because to
2: yeah. I've seen <laughs> you. Yeah, you're a big filter player. Because you like to like have the girl. They put like a weird girl face on a guy mm. and a guy face or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Um. So when I because I you and I read a lot of news. Yes. But so what sources do you go to? You go to CBS on
3: Snapchat. Well, I follow. That's the thing. Like when back when I was being interviewed for this job, yeah, it's that was a question you. you asked at the table and then you all sat back in your chairs like, let's see, him handle this one. And, and then when you said, all I do is I get my news from Snapchat <laughs> and Facebook. <laughs> well,
8: I, <laughs> we I thought and it oh. was perfect for the show.
3: And we thought, perfect. Perfect. We'll take you. That's what we need. No, I, I look at. I don't even. There's no. Num- I I can't even give you a number yeah. because I look at all kinds of things. I yeah. don't. I don't go to three or four sources. I go to try to. I have a. It's called a news aggregator. Yeah, that's what he is. And it's got all these different sources so that I can look at at, at sort of kind of get a feel of what the general story is, not what this one media outlet is trying to report right. but what is what is everyone trying to report so you kind of get a a general a, a bigger idea of the story and not just get one sort of possibly slanted view yeah but you see so you use but the it aggregator but and it's interesting we're coming from byu
2: campus which is a very conservative campus but you and i read fairly liberal papers mm-hmm. and yet which explains our agenda. Totally. But then but then on top of other things, we also read conservative stuff. So it's almost like – and that's, I think, what Danny was saying is you got to do both. Yes. To get the whole story, you got to do both.
3: And then be skeptical yeah. because like you were talking about, the, 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 the rogue onion story pops up and then you're <laughs> like, is that real? Is that for real? But you can have a better idea if you're looking at multiple different sources from all across the spectrum to kind of balance what this but is. But if you
2: only go to one source – if your source is only obviously a
3: GOP source, you're in trouble, I think. Yeah, which is kind of the problem with Facebook. Yeah. Because you like what you like. Right, and then it just keeps coming back. And it back. just keeps giving you things that you like instead cats, of cats, cats. other things. But then it's not enjoyable if you start liking things you don't like because then it's just full of stuff that you right. don't want to see.
2: Now – yeah. Uh, it's kind and, of a catch. But then it's interesting too because then I'll watch the convention and then I'll listen to CNN or MSNBC and I'll sit there and I'll think, yeah, I didn't th- I didn't think what you were thinking about that. But right. that little – that context um, and almost that – I don't know, just the conflict between what they're saying and what I felt helps me secure my own ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, yeah, that's just kind of a liberal angle. but. I don't know. People, I think, need to distinguish a lot more, or they're going to just be sucked in.
3: But we've done that on this show with many subjects. We had uh, someone on talking about fracking. Yeah. And they came in, and we're like, well, they're causing earthquakes in Oklahoma, polluting water. People in Pennsylvania are lighting their tap water on fire. This is horrible. And then the guest gave us a different viewpoint that if it's done correctly... The
2: guest who's a researcher on...
3: a He's a geologist that understands fracking... We had someone come in about the public lands issue that's right. going on in the West, and at first we're like, it's kind of a, it seems like a losing battle, and why are they keep doing this? And then you yeah. find out that there's some real issues going on. Yeah, and and then you, you kind uh, of see that different perspective, because uh, you go and try to find out.
2: And then I found out also that George Soros is behind a lot of funding for anti, what do we call that, um, to not give the West
3: all of their... Their land. Their get land their land back. back. yeah. And then you're like, Soros, why What's he would, involved why would for he care? But he's involved in a lot of things that end up yeah. being against the GOP. And so they have this – there's this thing where he's the. He's like the boogeyman. He's evil. He's the evil boogeyman. And you can sit there and say, no, he's just politically motivated. But then you start finding all the different areas yeah. that he's, he's trying to influence. But he's not even an American. Yeah.
2: So there's that too. <laughs> he's politically motivated and
3: not an American. So – you got to balance it. You got to look at both sides of it. Um, so the big story last night, right? Ted Cruz, yeah. he does not endorse Donald Trump, right? And, and Donald knew he wouldn't. And you're looking at it like uh, they did. I mean, uh, they had information going. They weren't in. surprised. Like I, I read this saying that Ted Cruz ended his speech Wednesday night at the Republican National Convention to booze from the convention floor. Yeah. to a chance to endorse Trump. This may not have been spontaneous. As uh, their uh, sources are saying here, uh, this Eric Erickson does a website I believe called Red State, uh, and and it's yeah, r- yeah. Republican leaning. But it says RNC threatened negative stories against Cruz if he refused to endorse. Ooh. So there's threats that way. The Trump camp knew this morning Cruz would not endorse. Told Cruz they'd uh, they'd orchestrate booing if he. If he refused to endorse and uh, others saying that the team, the Trump team actively whipped up the booze at the end of Cruz's speech. of course they did. So, I mean, these things were, (laughs) we're looking at at like, you know, political soap opera happening right in front of our eyes as they're just manufacturing things. But I think there's genuinely people that are unhappy that he didn't endorse. This morning, he spoke at a a gathering, took a question from a woman Ah. saying that you went against your word. You signed that promise. You signed the pledge and you decided not to to go ahead and endorse. And here's his response.
6: It was the day this became personal. And as I said at the time, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into criticizing or attacking Donald Trump, but I'll just give you this response. I am not in the habit
2: of supporting people who attack my wife and attack my father. There you go. So why did he go? Well, it's politics. I mean, it seems like if he really wanted to make a stand, yeah, don't show up like the Bushes, like the Romney's, like the McCain's. No show. But instead, he took advantage. Yeah. He got leverage. He got time. He got to schmooze conservatives. I guess he went up to Adelson, the really rich billionaire's uh, special Sweet. suite. Mm-hmm. And he was rejected from Adelson, like, you're not coming in here. Mm-hmm. And so he was still trying to schmooze and get his goods out He there. had
3: a, uh, a a Ted Cruz rally yesterday afternoon in Columbus. As he was doing the rally, as he was in the middle of his speech and talking, yeah. Trump's plane flies in behind I him. Saw that was classic. <laughs> so it's, he's that plane upstaging must be him circling
2: in. everywhere just yeah. to get a good shot. So, um, but then he's saying, "I don't. I'm not going to support him, but I will use him to whatever level I could use him to get gain." Yes. Uh, you decide. Scary politics isn't it great folks so keep your minds open and study look to multiple sources try to get some opposite views of uh of how you normally think go dig those out anything contrary let the balance help teach educate it'll solidify what you know to be true um powerful stuff we'll take a break folks come back and uh, give you more, more information, more tools to help you uh, live a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, let's say you're, you're digging in an Irish bog. What would you expect to find in the bog? Well, apparently, a guy finds edible butter dating back to the time of Jesus. This is crazy. Listen to this crazy story. You know, if you're digging in a bog, you might expect to find, you know, arrowheads or you know some coin or a button. But an Irishman earlier uh, this month in Mlog, Pete Bog in County Meath, Ireland, discovered a 22-pound ball of butter that may be 2,000 years old, according to the Smithsonian. A 2,000. 2000- a two thousand year old ball of butter. we actually
8: have audio of an expert verifying that it is in fact
2: butter. Oh, so you so we sent I guess somebody out in the field. they interviewed somebody yeah, and so we have we
8: have video of him giving his
2: qualifications. okay let, so this this is qualifications of the guy that validated a twenty two pound ball of butter two thousand years old. What is your area of expertise?
5: Well, I can tell the difference between butter and I can't believe it's not butter. No, you can't, Mr. Simpson. No one can.
2: Wow. So, that boy, I don't know what it is, but those voices sound so familiar. Um, they do. So,
8: But they also sound really trustworthy, which which Very trustworthy. Helps, yeah.
2: That guy was a little lispy. Did you hear that?
8: Yeah. that's That took a little bit away from his message, yeah, but... but
2: but again, Mr. Simpson sounded incredibly. Because he can Dr. tell. Dr. Simpson. Sorry, I think Dr. Simpson can tell between butter, and I can't believe it's not butter. So, by the way, the remarkably, the bog has a really high acid, low oxygen, cool conditions, which is perfect conditions to preserve a 22 pound ball of butter. It did smell like butter, they say. And after I had held it in my hands, my hands really did smell of butter, according to the curator. So we know it's butter, but what are you supposed to do with a 22-pound ball of butter that's 2,000 years old? I have an idea. Would, would you eat it, Ben? Would you actually consume it?
8: In a way, in a way.
2: Okay, so, so what's your idea? What would you do with the butter? You'd microwave it?
8: This takes a lot longer than I remember it taking. Huh.
2: So you just. Oh, oh okay. here oh, it here is we yeah, go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you you pop popcorn. In fact, and then you'd put the butter on the popcorn. The 2000 yeah, kind year old of butter. Drizzle it over it. <laughs> hey, where'd that butter go? For the museum. Uh, ben put it on the popcorn. Best popcorn in you'd the world. You'd be so fired. Uh, The only thing worse than that would be when you burn the popcorn, which is what you do. Don't you hate that?
8: I have years of movie theater experience. We can't stand it.
2: 2,000-year-old butter. I'm not sure I'd go near it, but Ben would put it on his popcorn. We'll take a break, folks, helping you live longer with 2,000-year-old butter. We'll be right back.
1: This
0: is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU
2: Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. The goal of the show is to give you the information you need to, uh, to live your life and to live it in a healthier way, you know. In the news, as you listen to the news, you don't always get the deep story. You don't get to talk to the researcher that did the study. So we bring them on for about 20 minutes and let you get the latest and the greatest today, no exception. We will be speaking with Dr. Gail Kaufman about a, um, her work on fathers, and uh, fathers, just like mothers, they want to have it all. According to uh, some of uh, Dr. Gail Kaufman's work, dads want to be with their kids uh, more than ever before.
3: Right, Terry? I think there's that feeling you want to be with your kid, and then you, you're you with your kid, and you <laughs> maybe start second-guessing that a little bit. You start beating them. Beating him with a pool noodle. Well, you know, you have to get your aggression out somehow. Now, you just
2: said something that you would, that you'd yeah. probably ought not say. Why is that? Because you would always want to be with your kid.
3: Well, you do until he wants you to role-play Toy Story movies. I know, but why is that? Why would that stop you? Be- the way my kid does it is he tells you the line that you must say. <laughs> no, Dad, say this. And so you try to ad-lib, and he's like, No, you must say it this way. You Andy said say- it this way. I'm like, oh. You're saying it wrong, Dad.
2: Um, Sixty percent of of fathers in dual-earning families say they have problems balancing work and family Mm -hmm. today compared to 35 percent in 1977. Hmm. So 60 60 percent of fathers today are struggling balancing life and family. Only thirty five percent back in the seventies.
3: So in the seventies was it more of a this is this is my role. So I'm not supposed to want to play with my kids or be with my kids as much. I
2: think that's it. Hmm. And we and we want to be with our kids more. And so we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Gail Kaufman about the research that she's been doing about dads and dads want everything moms want, but we always talk about. You know, giving time off for the moms to go be with their kids and their families. But dads want the same thing. And we're one of the only countries that doesn't do that. Doesn't give parental leave when you have a baby. Yeah, paternity paid leave. Paid time off. Right. So we're going to talk about this and, and open it all up. I would love to spend more time with my kids. In fact, this weekend, I'm babysitting my – not ba- well, I guess I am. We are babysitting our grandchild. Hmm. So we will have – an 8-month old in our home for 3 days and my wife's going to not get very much sleep.
3: What about you? Oh, I'll sleep like a baby. Are
8: you going <laughs> to share the load?
3: I really will. He'll say it, he won't do it. No, I yeah. really will. Like, I really will. I just I like, didn't wake up. I always no. I always talk a good game and then I sleep through everything. I so. will. I'll get up. I know
2: I will. Cuz I I like that. I used to be the master of putting my kids to sleep. Mm. Little Benadryl, tight squeeze. <laughs> Gone. Out for the night. <laughs> anyway, we will get to all of that with Dr. Gail Kaufman and um, plus more headlines. I'm going to talk to you about why you shouldn't play a flute hmm. if you're on a paddle
3: board in the ocean. That sounds like good advice. Great advice. I don't know what, where like even you're going a flute. Sounds like you're mixing too many things. Yeah. It seems like Maybe you're, you focus you're on you're one at a time. It, yeah.
2: But it, it could attract some problems for you. We'll get to that. Uh, But first, let's get to the headlines. And uh, Sadie Nielsen is going to join us. Sadie, what's up with the news around the rest of the country?
4: Well, Matt, Republican Senator Jeff Flake is certain the Republican Party can come up with a better way to take down Hillary Clinton than its current calls to lock her up. With delegates on the floor cheering for prison time for Clinton at the Republican National Convention on Tuesday, the Arizona senator and outspoken critic of Donald Trump tweeted that the party is jumping the shark with that line of attack. In an interview with the New York Times, Donald Trump said he would likely reconsider several existing agreements between the U.S. and other countries if he wins the presidency and might not even provide military aid to any NATO members, member countries if they were under attack. He is reported to have said that if Russia, for example, attacked the Baltic states, Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia, that he would only help after reviewing if they had fulfilled their obligations to us first. On Wednesday, a North Miami police officer shot a black man who was caring for his autistic patient. Charles Kinsey, a behavior therapist, had his hands up and was laying down with his back on the street when he was shot. When I went to the ground, I went to the ground with my hands up and I am laying there just like this, Kinsey said from a hospital bed, telling them that there's no need for firearms. He is autistic. He has a toy truck in his hand. Police said they were responding to a 911 call warning of someone walking around with a gun and threatening suicide, but no firearm was found. The officer was put on administrative leave. And finally, a man quit his professional job to become the world's first full-time Pokemon trainer. Tom Curry is one of the millions to be swept up in the massive hit game, which has rocketed in popularity. But the former barista is probably alone in deciding that he can survive on hunting pocket monsters alone. The 24-year-old gamer claims to have caught 90 of the 151 monsters available playing the game on his phone. He did not let his boss know why he was quitting his job. Wow. That mm-hmm.
2: That is crazy. Well, thanks, Sadie. And you know what is totally ironic? Yesterday, Ben tells me he may not be able to work with me in the fall.
3: And I'm wondering if it's because he's going to be a Pokemon. Totally un- yeah, unrelated
8: he- to Pokemon.
3: He has this excuse, mm-hmm. but yeah, it seems like he's going to go catch Pokemon.
8: I mean, not to brag. I, I have like a Charmander and a Squirtle. Pardon, what are you talking about? And a Pikachu.
3: What? Oh, is it, but, this um, is why you went to the doctor. Yeah. You yeah. get those lanced by the way.
2: There's nothing worse than a Charmander. <laughs> well, a Squirtle. That's pretty bad. So Are you taking care of him?
8: Um the Squirtle's died, but hmm. um yeah. Charmander's still What what does alive. one feed
2: a Squirtle? Um water. Okay, that's for the Squirt. What do you f- I mean there's got to be some roughage, some fiber. Right. In his diet. Um, that's probably why I died, huh? Yeah, I just figured he's like a water
8: Pokemon, so I just feed him water. But that may be why.
3: Well, may he rest in peace. Speaking of, a 2001 religious edict banned Pokemon. Banning Pokemon has been reestablished in Saudi Arabia as Pokemon Go gains popularity. Although the augmented reality game is not officially available in Saudi Arabia, it's still available there by illegal download, which prompted concern among the kingdom's top clerical body. Wow.
2: So they're going to ban Pokemon. So you don't have a Charizard and a Squirtle, but they're not going to. They'll they'll still kill women for certain things. The
3: the edict rejects the game for what it describes as un-Islamic aspects, including symbols from deviant religions and uh, polytheistic traits. Also, they don't really like monsters. As yeah. it goes on. Well, so. I mean, who does? Also, there was a study and they found that more millennials recognize Pikachu versus Joe Biden, the vice president. <laughs> 61% recognize the man one heartbeat away from the running the president. 98% recognize the cute yellow Pokemon. So
8: just to clarify, Joe Biden is Secre- vice president. Vice president, yeah. Yes. Okay. okay you know what he looks
2: like. He's that yellow guy with the black stripes on him with
3: the big red nose.
8: Yeah I, I, yeah, I got you, yeah.
3: A Baltimore police body camera caught a distracted Pokemon Go driver crashing into a parked police car yesterday. <laughs> so that's a story. Yeah, don't be distracted. When I downloaded the app, that's one of the first
2: things it's telling you is do not be distracted while playing this game.
3: And during the video from the police camera, the guy driving goes, that's what I get for playing this dumb game while I drove. Yeah. So, Also, a woman... In New Jersey, trying to catch a Pokemon in a cemetery ended up stuck in a tree and had to call 911 to rescue her. Now what? She climbed up a tree to be able to get to whatever Pokemon she was chasing, but she was in that tree. She couldn't get out, so she had to call 911 to help her get down out of the tree because she was really involved in the game.
2: So she's climbing a tree to get a Pokemon. Are the Pokemon above
3: ground? It depends, I guess. I don't know. And it depend I mean, just- what state was that in? New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Not Florida. No. Okay. Florida. They have a whole different set of Pokemon problems. <laughs> <laughs> do they involve? Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Um. So. Wow. So there's your Pokemon update. It's out of control.
2: 26 million daily users mm-hmm. on Pokemon.
3: And the servers still crash. It's a horrible game, but about, they keep coming back.
2: About to pass, though, Twitter.
3: Which wouldn't be tough. I mean,
2: that's crazy. In two weeks? Yeah. it's all right. Nine billion increase in the market cap. Wow. What do you do? Hey, do you um, do? we have some other advice. For those of you that like to paddleboard, are you a paddleboarder? No. No. Ben, when you lived in Hawaii, did you ever paddle board?
3: Yeah, <clears throat> with a real board, though. I mean, and yeah. a paddle like in the ocean, <clears throat> not in the pool or oh yeah, on in your a backyard. slip and slide or something. He yeah.
2: used to do it in his backyard hmm. to just get a feel like for the board
8: on the grass, kind of to get my balance. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so we I've got some advice if you're a paddle boarder and you live um, in Half Moon near Half Moon Bay. You're, you're, you're going to want to be careful, right, in California because don't get on your paddleboard and don't – do not take your flute and play your flute on your paddleboard because you could have a problem. Flutist Viviana Guzman got up close Fla- – Flutist. No, it said flutist. OK. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Viviana Guzman got up close and personal – with a, a humpback whale, paddleboarding in California's Half Moon Bay. Listen to this. Somebody had the drums apparently. Yeah, it's like she brought her own bass line. She's great. But the video is crazy. It shows her paddling, and I think she really was just on playing her flute. Not that was added flute music. Yeah. But um, she's playing her flute, and this whale comes up and breaches right next to her, hmm. hits her board, and kind of knocks her over a little bit. Scares her. Because apparently it heard the music.
8: Hmm. I think that's the best video we've ever played
3: on the show. It really... Like, the
8: audio of it really... Yeah.
2: Plus there was another guy next to her with the drums.
3: Yeah. You'd a, have to have a whole, like, mixing board and everything. That's crazy. Great that was, like, studio quality audio. But you got to be careful. Uh,
2: I If I were going to take a, an instrument out on my paddleboard, I hmm. would take a calmer, kind of a, a, a less... I don't know. She took a flute. Yeah, she took a flute, which sounds like It's not like a, a whale. A, an electric guitar. Oh. Well, you got to take like a bass. I'd take a big, maybe a bass.
8: Maybe a fiddle.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A fiddle? Maybe a fiddle. Banjo? I'd take my Stradivarius out there. that'd irritate anybody. Anything, a, any animal.
3: What about like an accordion? Oh, there you go. It's, it seems maybe like you can't
2: go wrong with an accordion. You
3: want to just scare everything away, bring an accordion. Maybe I, bagpipes. Bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It's hard, though, I think, to wear a kilt and have my bagpipes yeah. and paddle my board.
3: There's too many things yeah. happening. there. There's
2: just a lot of things to do.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I, by the way, not
3: to brag. oh But I... Here comes his kilt story. I played the accordion as oh, a kid. Oh, that way. Why would you admit that?
2: I don't know. I'm just bored. Okay.
8: <laughs> I think our listenership got cut in half right oh, there.
2: Uh, what do you mean? Who doesn't love a polka? Seriously.
8: You know, my mom always taught me that it's a gentleman that can play the accordion, yeah, but doesn't.
2: Wow,
3: good point. You don't even have a mom. That's sage advice right there. <laughs> you don't have a mom.
2: <laughs> we found you in a dumpster. Where was your mom then with all this wisdom?
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's just went a different
2: place. <laughs> this is what I'm wondering. I've been raising the boy since he was a pup.
3: And now he brings up a mom story. So how do they know the flute attracted the whale? Well, hello, a we whale just, all
2: of a sudden breaches all over. doesn't
3: mean the flute had anything to do with it. What do you think it did? Maybe the whale's bored and just wants to go up there and mess with a human. No, whales don't think like that. How do we know that?
2: Hello. Have you talked to a whale lately? Have you ever watched anything from National Geographic?
3: No, not really. Yeah. That's probably
8: how all these whales got beached in California. Somebody was playing a flute. The whale uh-huh. comes onto the beach, gets stuck. That's dies. True. a lot
2: of people grab a flute and then they go build a bonfire and they play it for their friends on the beach.
8: Yeah. We may have solved California's problem.
2: That's a great idea. If they stop that, they won't
3: have any more whales to try to dispose is that, of.
2: Is that where you're going, Ben? You're gonna go play the flute on the beach for people in the fall?
3: Um, that's
8: gonna be my part time job, yeah.
2: Okay, good. You're not getting into the ice cream business, are you?
8: Um, that too. That's my other part-time job.
2: I wouldn't go near it. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. I just, I just think it'd be better. that I think the flu things a better yeah. avenue for you.
8: More realistic. Yeah, more likely yeah. to succeed.
2: Um, we'll take a break, folks. And when we come back, we'll be talking about fathers and some of the latest and greatest research about what dads today actually want. And amazingly, uh, it's pretty much what moms want. <laughs> We, everyone always tries to say that we're, we're different. We don't want kids. We don't want things. But you know what? We do. We even want to be home with our new baby. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Our society has made a lot of conscious efforts to make it possible for women to contribute in the workplace and raise children. Things like maternity leave, flex schedules, have made it uh, more possible for women to have the best of both worlds. But are those same opportunities and understanding offered to men? Here to discuss her article Fathers Also Want to Have It All. Is Dr. Gail Kaufman? She's a sociology professor at Davidson College, and uh, is also the author of the book "Super Dads: How Fathers Balance Work and Family in the 21st Century." Dr. Gail Kaufman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Oh, hi, Matt. Thanks Great for having
2: me. You bet. Thanks for being on here and researching this topic. I mean, it's 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 true. We're trying to make it more and more. Uh, Possible for a woman to be in the workplace, to be able to uh, also take care of her family. Um, but we haven't, it seems like, focused that same attention on the men. Talk about some of the research and, and learnings you've had as far as fathers and wanting to have it all.
0: Right. Well, I think what we're seeing is a lot of the similar patterns that happen for women, right? When women were first entering the workforce in large numbers, there was a lot of attention to how they were going to be able to do it all. And it turned out that women were spending a lot of time at work, and they didn't really get to cut back their time at home. So they still had what was called, what Arlie Hochschild called, the second shift. Like, they did all their work, their paid work, and then they went home and they did the housework and childcare. And so... We've been trying to figure out okay how to make how do we make that paid work easier for women to combine with the role that they've occupied and taking care of their families? And so now we're at this point where with men it's sort of we can see opposite. it's similar, but there are opposite patterns in terms of men have been in the workplace and now they're adding these caregiving roles, right, So right. in different ways. I mean, they, they've they been involved in different ways throughout history, but more recently we see this really large attention to what they can do as caregivers, how they can be involved as. So in, the, in some sense, it's saying, okay, well, now you want to, you know, be more uh, be more involved fathers and spend more time at home, but we're not really taking away their work responsibilities, right? Their paid work. Right. And so they're now facing the same kind of second shift where they are do they still have the responsibility, the financial responsibility and added onto this is all the responsibilities that they're adding at home.
2: Because for years it we Men were almost laughed at in their caregiving roles. We we were kind of always the butt of the joke uh, for right. every sitcom. And, and now it seems like, in fact, you cite a really interesting study, the National Study on Changing Workforce, that says almost half of fathers in heterosexual relationships say they share caregiving responsibilities equally or take right. on a greater share of caregiving than their partner. So we're finally, I guess stepping up in a way, uh, in a more equal way.
0: Yeah, sure. And and so men, uh, particularly, you know, fathers are doing a lot more at home. It's still not equal, right? Uh, of course. Uh, mothers are still doing more than fathers, but fathers have really, um, they've gone from spending about um, two and a half hours per week on child care in the 70s to seven hours. Um, and so, which works, and this is on a typical work day, right? So yeah. Or over the week, over work week. So if we think about that in terms of how much more might be spent on any given day, that's a large increase, especially if it's done after spending, you know, however many hours, say eight hours at work.
2: Yeah we've talked about work life policies on the show before um where you know people get paid time leave or paid leave to go have their child and to get uh you know to have some family time and talk about the united states we're still we're still so behind it seems like in even offering the this this benefit to our employees um compared to the rest of the world
0: yeah for sure um so the US is one of two countries. The only other country is Papua New Guinea who, that don't have uh, paid uh, some kind of paid parental leave. Um, now, certainly more countries have paid maternity leave than paid paternity leave. And some countries combine and have um, you know, a more gender-neutral parental leave. Um, but the U.S. definitely stands out, um, certainly uh, in the world, but uh, particularly when we compare to other countries that we like to compare to in terms of other measures of well-being. Um, so it's, uh, I think <laughs> it's definitely a step that needs to be taken.
7: Why are we
2: so far behind? It seems like, you know, we'd be leading in this
7: area.
0: Yeah, well, there's definitely a sense of um, there. There's been a, a very much a sense of individualization in the U.S. And a lot of that leads to thinking about okay, families are private, you know, and um, so whatever you need to do with your family, you do that, right? right? And so everyone's sort of left on their own to figure it out. Um, This also goes hand in hand with what a term called the ideal worker, where this is developed in the workplace, where the notion is um, when the workplace came about, it was often men in the workplace, women um, staying at home. And so the idea was, okay, the ideal worker can just focus and give all their attention to the workplace, and they don't really need to worry about other things. Um, and that idea has really <laughs> been hard to sort of get rid of, right? So even as we have women in large numbers and no one's questioning and, and having um, two parents um, in the workplace or a single parent who is working, th- these are not unusual. Um, but yet these ideas about, okay, your work life is your work life and family, we, you know, that doesn't you know, that has nothing to do with work and you just have to figure it out on your own. I think that still exists to a large extent. Hmm.
2: Yeah. You, uh, you cite a statistic, uh, 43% of fathers, 41% of mothers, uh, still face, feel like they feel face a stigma when seeking greater flexibility in the workplace. There's, I guess that's, you're not the ideal worker if you're not that, there at work when they need you, how they want you, you know, without and never bringing your family into this,
0: exactly, yeah, so the the, the sense is that if you um, show some vulnerability really in this way, that it could question your commitment, um, and I think that the the numbers seem similar for uh, men and women that you cite there, but in fact, there are, there are some studies that suggest that the effects may be even greater on men in terms of those who actually ask for um, parental leave or use flex time um, because there's, you know, these notions about gender and about what men, that men are... Still, providers, and that men are dedicated, and so if there are, if there are any questions about this dedication, then that that affects people, co-workers, or supervisors.
2: Yeah. Um, does does the I mean, I, as I look at this, it's I don't know. We, we've we've struggled with trying to figure out a way to get to create equality, to get women in the workplace, I guess those especially that really wanted to go create a profession and yet still balance a family life. Um, and, and so what's driving men to want to be more with their kids than 30 or 40 years ago? Is it are, – are men evolving? Are we like – are we picking up kind of more of a maternal role or is it just the mere fact that the economics has changed us?
0: Yeah, I think it's um, probably a combination, right? Because you definitely have that need um, as you know, economic um, economic changes have really um, led to this need for two parents to be in the workforce um, to a large extent. And so, um, when you have both parents working, then it sort of uh, becomes more. Uh, necessary for both to also be involved in that caregiving, um, and I think to a large extent when fathers become involved, it makes them want to become involved even more, right? So, you know, once you're spending time with your child um, or children, you know, you get to uh, experience all the great benefits of that time and and the, the sense of, Accomplishments that come from and and just the joy <laughs> yeah. of raising children, right? So, um, so fathers who who spend time with their children want to spend more time. It's you know they see how um, this is a really important thing, not just for them but for their children. They see how their children respond to them.
2: And it yeah. seems like we become better at it, right? We become more comfortable. Like and that. and when you're better at something, you, yeah, you don't avoid it. You don't run from it. You just take it on. Um, powerful. Let's Gail, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Gail Kaufman, author of the book Super Dads, How Fathers Balance Work and Family in the 21st Century. And we're speaking about her article, Fathers Also Want to Have It All, According to the Studies. Um we'll do the discussion folks dads are important and when we come back we'll get a little deeper into that what impact does a father have on the family and uh and the child rearing let's let's get into that as well this is the matt townsend show stick with us helping you love stronger and lead healthier happier lives we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Gail Kaufman. She is the author of the book Super Dads, How Fathers Balance Work and Family in the 21st Century. And uh, we are talking about an article, Fathers Also Want to Have It All, uh, that uh, she wrote. Dr. Kaufman, thank you again so much for being with us.
0: Oh, thank you.
2: When you talk about dads, I mean... It's one thing now we're it seems like we're catching on we're we're playing kind of a, a stronger partnering role in in the parenting of our children. Um, what impact does a father have on on the chi- on their children?
0: Right. So yeah, there has been a, there's been a lot of research in terms of looking at father involvement and child development and the general I mean there's Strong evidence that it's a positive impact, right? In terms of all sorts of factors, if we look at anything from academic uh, or cognitive development to more emotional um, development to behavioral kinds of outcomes, that um, having a father who is more present and more involved will help children, right? Right. In these areas, um, so. You know, a lot of it, it it's, it's hard be, to say because the research is still um, new in terms of whether it's simply fathers or whether it's two parents yeah. right? and, and whether it could be um, because the early evidence on two mothers or two fathers seems to be pretty positive as well. So it may be that it's just a second parent is really good for
2: children. Double teaming. Yeah, yeah. You get a you get a double team. I mean, it's like we, we have six children and we have a grandchild that is eight months old that is going to stay the weekend with us. And we are terrified because it's like, um, are we ready to do this again? Okay. Do we remember what to do? And it's interesting how, I mean, it's such an important role that we play in our lives as a father or as a mother. And then... Some of it's natural we've spent we've done it for years twenty thirty years basically what um but then our jobs are still pulling at us we've got to work, we've gotta make the money. talk about uh what we can maybe do in our lives to to try to create a better balance
0: right so yeah, I mean. Um, what you're talking about in terms of trying to remember and thinking hopefully it'll be like riding a bicycle right right, right. But, but a lot of that is true in the sense of um, as I was saying before when when fathers spend time with their children then they um, then they gain confidence and they, they learn you know the skills that mothers also learn it's, it's you know most of this is not, sort of, you don't wake up knowing how to be a parent, but you, you learn how to do that. And that's why I think that really the first step is having paid parental leave, right? Because right. having that time initially with children to care for them, um, that really benefits the child, but it also um, really builds skills for the parents to continue to be good parents, right, throughout um, throughout their child's Lives. Um, so so that's the first step. And then bolstering that with other kinds of workplace supports, right, that are so important to really changing how we think about um, work and acknowledging that most people have families. And, and if it's not, um, child, you know, young children, then eventually it may be grandchildren or it may be parents or it may be others that people... You know, have responsibilities for so um, really making it making workplaces more amenable to doing both. Right? It it, it seems sort of like we can we can focus. Obviously, there are things that individuals may try to do to to make their um, experiences better, and I think that. That, you know, that's important as well. But um, as a sociologist, I always like to look to the larger kind yeah. of structures that are in place that, that make it more difficult for people to, to, to combine work and family.
2: California took a big step in, you know, I guess in the groundbreaking paid family leave program. Um, for example, you cited in your article, 90% of fathers in Nordic countries end up taking leave. Yeah, and yet there's only one state in the U.S. I guess that have a paid family leave program in place. Mm-hmm. California.
0: Um, yeah, so California does. Um, New Jersey, Providence, and the latest is New York.
7: Hmm. Um,
0: but the, the Providence uh, was last year, so it's it's just going into you know it's just having its uh, impact, and New York is. Yet to come. So, and those are all um,
2: paid family leaves. There's family right. leaves. There's there's acts where you can go take a leave, but you're not paid.
0: Right. The national we do have a national policy called the Family and Medical Leave Act, which was passed in 1993, and that does offer up to um, 12 weeks of unpaid leave. So, the problem with that is, well, <laughs> the biggest problem obviously is that it's unpaid, and a lot of people can't afford to take unpaid leave. Right. Um, it, it also doesn't cover everyone because of restrictions in terms of how big the work the workplace needs to be and how long you have to have work there. Um, so, in fact, we know that um, about 12% of U.S. workers in the private sector um, have access to paid family leave. That's through their companies. And so um, without these kinds of um, broader policies, it's really you know, am I lucky enough to work for for an employer that offers this? Um, but getting back to yeah, getting back to California is a good example. That's that was the first state, um, and it's been in place for over ten years now, and so we can get a sense of how successful the program has been. Um, and it has worked to increase um, fathers taking uh, parental leave, and it has had limited um, it, or no negative impact on the employers that uh, of those taking leave, um, as bu- as much as the research has shown. So it's been a you know, as far as we can see, a win-win situation. Um, I'm I'm not sure about getting to. Uh, sort of a Nordic model. I mean, that, yeah. that is really <laughs> sort of a gold standard for, for people studying um, parental leave. Um, but it, those companies uh, or those countries have been really successful because they have focused on not just um, thinking about parental leave as something that will get women back into the workplace, but something that will get fathers to be more involved at home. Yeah. Um, that's been equally important in those policies. And so um, a case like Sweden where, you know, there there's um, three months set aside for each parent. So mm-hmm. parent gets three months that, you know, you, you use it. They call it use it or lose it, or sometimes it's called the daddy quota. So um, it's sort of a way of making sure that fathers will use leave, um, and then there's additional leave that can be shared. Um, but this is really bolstered. Um, it, it's it's really affected how people think about it, right? So if you go, you know, to Sweden, you you see that it's not really a big deal. I mean, of course, you're gonna take, you know, parental leave, and fathers are out with their strollers with their with their mm. Um, children, and um, it's not something that seems strange, right? So right. So it's, it's getting to a point where, and, and I think in the U.S., I mean, it's not so strange to see fathers with children or, you know, fathers, that the way I start my book is noticing how many fathers are at the bus stop, right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of fathers... That that go and take their children to the bus stop in the morning, and so they may be in their suits, but they're they're there, right? So um, we're, we're definitely seeing changes, and, and it it doesn't seem unusual that fathers would be um, with their children, but it's just um, making that easier and uh, extending it.
2: And the way, I guess the way it works in California is. There's just a small payroll tax of 0.9% that is paid, I guess, year-round by the company, and then as as the employees need it, they then take the money from those funds to to pay for that.
0: Right. So it's um right the the system is it's um a a small tax, and so it's sort of um, similar to to like disability, where people are paying into it. And um, it's a you know it's not a very large part of um, it it's, it's a, a fairly small amount when you're looking at the overall scheme and this way you know every anyone who um, needs it can then take it and it does address um, not just children not just newborn but caring for um, family members
7: hmm. as well
0: so yeah. um, because this becomes you know at different points in Your life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There there may be different needs,
2: right? But um, but, yeah. Well, and especially with an aging population, that will become even more and more valuable. I guess, too, in the end, you can, you know, the government could provide the means and the way to do this. um, But in the end, if you still have that ideal worker paradigm going on back at work, taking the leave may, you may be too afraid to do it anyway because you just don't want to lose your position.
0: Right, right. I think it needs to become standard. Something that, um, something that you know, the employers um, will. If, if you um, say you're having a child, then okay, here, here are your benefit, and the assumption is that you will use it, right? Unless otherwise. Um, right. Less other, right? So instead of having it be okay, you have to come to me and tell me and ask for it. Um, something that would be a little more proactive, I think, would be helpful because in um, some of the more recent research that I'm doing, that that hasn't been published yet, but in interviewing fathers in California, um, several of them have spoken about that their um, their employers don't fully. No, especially in smaller companies, they might not, which California doesn't have a limit on the um, the size of the company. So that's a little different. But a lot of the employers didn't, you know, fully know um, what the policy was. And it was fathers who actively sought out that information mm. and said, okay, here's what I can do. And they brought it to their employers. And in a lot of cases, the employers were like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, got to do that. We didn't know that. Okay, great. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. But But you'd think, you know, for something like this, to be <laughs> even more effective, it would be great for the employers to take
2: that. Right, bring that, that to you. Yeah. Right. That's right. powerful. Well, Dr. Gail Kaufman, we appreciate your great work. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, thanks for having me on.
2: You bet. And again, her book is Super Dads, How Fathers Balance Work and Family in the 21st Century. Let's figure out a way where we can all be better at what uh, at our most important roles in this world, um, being a parent, a family member. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. So let's say you get three months off. uh, As you're having a baby, you get to go be a part of that, take care of your child, your other children perhaps, maybe an ailing grandparent or a parent. You might actually also have a little extra time, a little free time maybe to go just breathe. I don't know. Make some ice cream if you're Ben. Or... A gigantic street-legal shopping cart. How cool would that be? I don't know. I'm not into really fast shopping carts. But uh, even even the express lane is too slow for this souped-up shopping cart. The Shopper Chopper, they're calling it. It's the world's only street-legal, drivable shopping cart. Street legal, drivable shopping cart. The super-sized shopping cart is 9 feet tall, 12 feet long, and can hold 6 people and 146 normal-sized grocery bags, which is, I mean, that's a lot of shopping. That's, that would take you to Costco and back twice. The, the, the shopper chopper can reach 50 miles an hour. Here it is revving up. Uh, we've got video of it right here. The only problem is that it can't go inside a grocery store. It can't. So you got to park it at the front gate. You're not going in the store. But that's good because you, you probably ought not go 50 miles an hour in the grocery store. I mean, I remember when I took Ben to the store and put him in the little seat in the front of the cart. You remember this, Ben?
8: Yeah, I don't know why they don't make him big enough for... Yeah, do you remember how
2: you, you only got one leg in? Yeah. That was weird. That was
8: kind of... Kind of straddling the bar right there. Do you remember was, how
2: hard it was for me to just lift you up and get you in there? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, it, those were the days. Just raised my little pup, and um, that was like two months ago. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I think it was. It was June. June last month. Yeah. Oh, last month. It was okay, last yeah. month. Yeah, when so we went to go get some supplies. Ups to daisies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Up to daisies. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, the cart is being used for a promotional purpose outside of stores now. And, uh, you know, it's a drag racing cart. Do you know how many – you know, my my wife would love that because you could shop so much faster. You just stick your arm out and just push stuff into the cart and it holds like 147 – 146 normal-sized grocery bags. Plus just the torque. It would take you –
8: Yeah. Know, just the power it gives you. The power. The, the power feeling it gives of power.
2: you. The power. Anyway, we, uh, we got a lot to, still to do. Next hour, uh, we will be talking with um, a guest that was on the, the program um, America's Got Talent. I mean, that's a scary deal. And she went and killed it. So we'll be talking with McKenna Breinholtz about her time there and just how she went from playing music – at home, at age 17, and then all of a sudden is on the big stage singing on America's Got Talent. Interesting story. So stick with us. We'll get to that. Also, our BYU Sports Nation got a lot loaded for you for next hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back.
0: The Matt Townsend
1: Show. Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend.
2: Now on BYU
5: Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Wow, have we got a show for you, locked and loaded. Uh, first of all, it is Junk Food Day Ah, another angel got heart disease. We, uh, on this show, like to celebrate all of the special days. Today, Junk Food Day, it's the day that you get to eat all the junk food you want without any repercussions. You will not die of heart disease. You actually lose the calories you take in. You lose the calories and the plaque. mm -hmm, That's -hmm. what I heard.
3: I don't believe that's how it works.
2: It's Junk Food Day. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure. I, mean, they I am make a the day. healthiest human ever known to man. Man, I like that guy. <laughs> that is a radio voice. <laughs> I agree with everything he says. He's incredible. So, happy junk food day. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about on the show. McKenna Breinholt will be joining us. She is a young uh, talent, a 17 year old budding music artist that was on America's Got Talent. She got, she was, and she did really well. And chose then to basically take herself off the show, you know for reasons, just so as not to be tied down anywho we'll get to McKenna and and hear her story and find out how she went to just playing piano all the way to this point of uh being on america 's got talent powerful stuff. Also, we're going to visit our good brethren at uh, BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going on with them at the top of the show. Got to find out what they think of Kyle Collinsworth being signed with the Dallas Mavericks. That's some big news. Plus, um, other news that many things you may want to hear about. Some you're probably wondering. But a, a football,
3: what? You can't throw a football into a prison yard? What's the big deal? You may be able to throw one When you're in prison to another prisoner?
2: You can't... That's kind of
3: part of your exercise or outdoor time? No,
2: but you just can't pull up to a fence and just throw a football over?
3: You can't launch things over the fence into the prison. That would be wrong. They get mad about that. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that's a little petty.
3: People have tried it with drones and all kinds
2: of different ways. I'm just trying to help the people feel better. Yeah. And we'll get to that story. Because I I think they were actually trying to help them feel better because there were some drugs in the football (laughs) So we'll talk about that, but first let's get to the other headlines. Uh, Sadie Nilsson joins us to talk about what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up?
4: Well, Matt, lots of interesting things going on. Uh, The U.S. will face a lot of hot weather this week in the form of a heat dome that is about to settle over the country, uh, bringing temperatures as high as 115 degrees in some areas. The high-pressure system is forecasted to keep hot air trapped over the U.S. in the Midwest. From there, it will spread toward both coasts, generating high temperatures and heavy humidity. The National Weather Service has already issued heat alerts for more than a dozen states. Stocks are closing higher on Wall Street, led by advances in technology companies, after Microsoft reported surprisingly strong results. The gains Wednesday extended a winning streak for the Dow Jones Industrial Average and kept the market at record high levels. The S&P 500 index rose 9 points, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 36 points, and the NASDAQ Composite climbed 53 points. The parents of Lane Graves, a toddler killed killed by an alligator at Disney World last month, will not sue Disney, they announced in a statement released to People. A rep- representative for the Orlando Resort says Disney is providing ongoing support for the family, which includes honoring their request for privacy. Tony Schwartz, the ghostwriter for Donald Trump's 1987 book, Art of the Deal, said Wednesday that the Republican presidential nominee sent him a cease and desist letter following his interview with The New Yorker. The letter from the Trump organization demands that Schwartz return all payments he received. And finally, in your uh, junk food news for the day, Mm. an elderly British woman defended herself from an attempted robbery by using a package of bacon yesterday. (gasps) When the 86-year-old woman was approached by an unidentifiable female in the grocery store after withdrawing a large amount of money from an ATM, the unknown female grabbed her and demanded the money she had withdrawn. The elderly woman quickly grabbed a packet of bacon from her trolley to fend off the would-be robber. She then defended herself by repeatedly hitting the female offender over the head with a packet of bacon, police wrote. The offender then retreated and made off from the supermarket.
2: Ooh, an angel just got...
4: The un- an unidentified female did not get her wings, unfortunately. No, she didn't. No.
2: Dang it. Well, thanks, Sadie. That's, uh, that's crazy news. What if, see, what if the lady had not bought bacon? I, what would she use?
8: I don't think bacon's a junk food, though. I think that's, that's the your, only no, flaw with It's uh, a staple. It's a
2: food yeah. staple. Yeah.
8: It has all the necessary- It has protein. Yeah. Uh-huh. It has fats.
2: Oh, yeah. Nitrates. Yeah. If you double cook it, it has nitrites which will pretty much explode your heart and your chest cavity.
8: Don't overcook it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's why I like mine a little raw. (laughs) so gross. Um, Really, she took the guy out with some bacon. It's not only a food product. It's
3: also a weapon. It's a blunt instrument.
2: Do you know if it's allowed at the RNC convention? Bacon? Yeah. Can you take a package of bacon in? Probably not. I'm going to bet not.
3: They would question that. Hey, uh, you packing bacon? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Put your hands but up. it's see. not like they don't have plenty there on concession. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: So what's the deal with the heat dome?
3: Yeah, that's kind of an odd story. So over the Midwest, there's this uh, area of, I guess, pressure that's not moving around, so it's just heating up. It's like a high pressure. And low then, pressure. then it's going to spread... From the center out. And create and, a dome. Now, they're not talking about record-breaking heat in most of the country. Most of the country will get up into the mid mid to low 90s. Mm-hmm. But there will be places in Arizona and Death Valley that are going to be really hot. But they're always hot no, Death Valley, at this time of year. So. Uh, that's why they call it Death Valley. Right. Um,
2: do you notice that the dome will be taking effect when the DNC...
3: But they're in Philadelphia. Born and raised. Yeah, but that wouldn't that would make playground. more sense if it was in, say, Kansas City, you know, right in the middle of the country. But who knows what the Dome will do? Okay. <laughs>
2: I just find it ironic. There wasn't a Dome when the RNC were meeting, but there's going to be a Dome when the DNC. Mm. And notice it's over
3: the Iron Belt. But it might be influenced by hot air that was generated during one convention and will be continued during the next convention. It's going to be domed. Yeah. So it may, the hot air may have been generated the first week and then domed in the second week. It is a bipartisan dome, is what I'm trying to say.
8: I think more likely it's a conspiracy of the GOP to disrupt the DNC. Oh, well, it could be. That's I don't just know my. What are you talking about?
3: <laughs> That's a lot of acronyms. Speaking of the Republican convention, yes. Each night is a theme. Uh huh. We've talked about this. Safe. Monday was "Make America Safe Again." Yeah. Tuesday was "Make America Work Again." Okay. Because they mentioned that like twice. Last night, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Last night was Make America First Again.
2: Oh, I did not know that. Okay, that was a good
3: Tonight point. is Make America One Again. One what? One as in unified. Oh, like one
2: under God, indivisible, yeah.
3: with liberty. It was inter- the night of, so Safe was supposed to be about national security. Yeah. They talked a lot about Benghazi. I got, I was about absolutely scared that night. It was, you know, it kind of
2: part I of, didn't realize we were in such bad way. Part ways. of the
3: idea. Then, then Tuesday was supposed to be about the economics, business, what's the future about. Yeah. Yeah. And it says here, it goes, uh, albeit a looser one than the, the national security themed night. They didn't seem to stick to message on Tuesday, and I found this uh, where uh, a website went through and counted references on the Make America Work Again about the economy and how we're going to get people back to work and jobs. The, uh, what, the word job was mentioned 24 times, right? Yeah. The word uh, work was mentioned 37 times, and the word Hillary was mentioned 87 times with the word Clinton mentioned 70 times. Wow. So really,
2: maybe what they're talking about, the work is the piece of work that they're calling Hillary. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) That possibly could be it. Is that it? But it just seemed like they were off
2: message. That's interesting because the message is Hillary. This is the most unifying thing of the party is Hillary Clinton is an evil spawn of
3: darkness. That's how they're going to unify. She's the one they're unifying. Sometimes they unify around the candidate. Tonight you'll hear from Jerry Falwell Jr. Okay, wow. You'll have Peter Thiel, who's the Facebook board member who uh, helped to fund the lawsuit that blew Gawker Media out of the well, water. Bring, brought down Gawker. And now they're they're uh, the Gawker Hunter, the guy that owns Gawker's declaring bankruptcy. Oh boy, because he had to fight all this Laval uh, uh, lawsuits. Uh, Colony Capital CEO Tom Brock. B A R R A C K I don't know who he is. Mm. So some guy from a uh business stock market type right. person. Um Ivanka Trump will speak tonight. She's going to make it one. She will be the one that pre or kind of does the the warm up act to her father um, who they, will speak after her. Cuz they have a loving father daughter They're saying that her job will be to try to humanize her her uh, her husband her father mm-hmm. and also make the I guess, argument that he is good for women, that women should vote for her father.
2: There you go. She well, has to put if that If she argument does out there. half – I mean, her brothers killed it, I thought.
3: Yeah, they did a great job. A lot of compliments so, towards that.
2: I think personally, you could get rid of Donald Trump and just run the three kids and we'd all be better off.
3: <laughs> I
2: mean, they're, they're a, they'd are they be a great combo. I guess they didn't run though.
3: No blasted. If you do remember, they forgot to register for the New York primary also. (laughs) That's That's hard to remember stuff like that. It's all those crazy rules. And Then they complained about the rules. Also, I found this. Donald Trump has doomed his campaign by selecting Mike Pence as his running mate. They simply don't have enough syllables in their name. A what? Since 1900, the presidential ticket with the most syllables in the candidates' last names has won every time unless the short syllable ticket had an incumbent or a bush on it.
2: Really, so the incumbent Ford, but he lo- he won and Bush.
3: if, if it was one of the one of the two bushes that ran if their name, yeah. if they were there, they also won but the more syllables, the better with Trump sibilically challenged, as it says, is that a word sibilically i th- uh, is isn't there a sibilical cord <laughs> uh it says bad blood ruling out Jeb Bush, he would have yeah. done best selecting former uh governor Rudy Giuliani. Oh, see, that would have... Or the mayor of New York, sorry.
2: That's a name A rare
3: four-syllable option. Or he could have gone with the three-syllable Governor Brian Sandoval of Nevada. Sandalovich. Yep. uh, Trump's former rival for the presidential nomination, Marco Rubio of Florida, gets the most from the fewest letters, making him symbolically strong and at the same time bumper-sticker friendly. Wow.
2: Whenever I hear Marco Rubio, when I say the word Marco, what do you want to yell? Polo. Polo. Yeah.
3: So, someone's see, it, lost see, in
2: my head. I'm thinking of a game in the pool.
3: Someone's lost in the pool. That's why so he you had have a hard to yell talk. out your your sounder names.
2: Interesting. I didn't know the symbols mattered. The syllables. I'm oh, sorry. Symbols. The, sorry. Syllables. What, what was the name? What was the word you made up? Sybilically.
3: Yeah. Sybilically challenged.
2: Uh, Because kids can die when their symbolical cord is wrapped around their neck.
3: So it says the GOP, when they're symbolically advantaged in the contest, the GOP has won all of 11 of those contests dating back to 1860 except two. In 1940. I don't buy it. Roosevelt Wallace versus Wilkie McNary and the squeaker of 1948. When Dewey Warren went to bed with uh, no doubt thinking they'd had enough syllables to eke out a win against Truman Barkley, but suddenly the yeah,
2: I don't they think, lost that one. I think they're ex- I think they're
3: because you could just as easily do a study on which side they part their hair. Ooh, that's e- probably something very interesting. Equally too. irrelevant. So the syllables, you don't think it, no. it's a thing? No. Height? No. We uh, talked yeah, about that. I believe height. Okay. If if they have a good head of hair, probably. Okay. Hmm. Or a good back of hair. Well, that's more of a personal thing that you'd have to have some inside but knowledge about. A lot about. of these
2: guys are swimming now. They always want to be seen in the water.
3: Right. I flexing. Mean, John Kerry out yeah. there on his, uh, his his wind sail or whatever <laughs> he's
2: doing. <laughs> Windboard. board. Yeah, those are good times. Okay, moving away from politics. Okay.
3: Do you own a VCR? No. You don't?
2: Oh, I have a VCR in one of
3: our TVs. Oh, you yeah, have one of those combos? Just a tiny little TV. Yeah. Interesting, but I have one in my closet. I
2: don't know that. I don't know that it would actually work if I put it.
3: Yeah.
2: I, I ought to try that. That'd be fun. That's
3: something to do this weekend. There you go. Show the grandkids. So it says forty years after the first VHS video cassette recorder rolled off the production line, the last known company making the devices is ceasing production. Woo! According to Japanese newspaper uh, Funai Electric, a Japanese consumer electronics company, will give up on the format by the end of. July after 30 years of production. Thank heaven. So the VCR is finally dead. Let it go. They say um, declining sales. I wonder why. Are an issue. Yeah. It's weird. <clears> it's totally weird. And I was cleaning
2: out my uh, storage room found about 200 VCR or VHS, VHS tapes. tapes. Yeah. <sighs> what a waste. I spent so much money. Now for just 9.99. I get to have a taste of heaven by going to a download site to download wonderful pictures or wonderful movies.
7: Yeah, mm. oh,
2: We live in a good day. We're, we'll take a break when we come back. McKenna Brian Holt will join us, uh, a teenager tasting a bit of success on America's Got Talent. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a teen chasing your dreams. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. That is the voice of McKenna Breinholt. She's a 17-year-old budding music artist. Her passion for music began when she started taking piano lessons when she was about 11 years old. She's been performing for a few years at local charity events, talent shows, weddings, and parties, and she recently uh performed as a featured soloist with the band Cinematic Pop on the show America's Got Talent. McKenna is with us today to talk about her journey as a young musician and what inspires her. McKenna Breinhold. Welcome to the Matt Townsend show. Thank you. Hey, how how about that? Are you you're still seventeen?
9: Yes, I am.
2: Seventeen years old on America's Got Talent. What is that like?
9: It was Unreal, it was such an overwhelming experience. super cool to meet the judges and perform in front of an audience and then see myself on t v it was It was crazy
2: see now I can't stand to look at myself on t v <laughs> you know did that bother you to just sit there and say, Oh, I wish i had uh, i should have done this did did you get did you get into your head like that, or was it just all good
9: i didn't i I was actually really Happy with it. That's it great. Out.
2: Who was your favorite judge on the show?
9: For did, sure, did, probably Howie.
2: Was it Howie? Yeah,
9: Howie was super nice. He gave really good feedback, and yeah, he's probably my favorite out of
7: all
2: four. Did he shake your hand? Because apparently, he doesn't like to do that.
9: Oh, I wish he did.
2: Yeah, he didn't. Yeah, yeah he's he's kind of a neat freak, a clean, a germaphobe. Um, yeah. But so, talk to us about because you just you're a 17-year-old girl working your way up figuring out your own life your own your own you figuring out who you are how how did you get into music what's your what drives you what's your passion
9: um i well i started playing piano when i was 6 years old and i'm self-taught and i started to take piano lessons because i could never read music and I still can't read music so the piano lessons didn't exactly help me out but I tried singing with the piano and it was I was never really good to be honest and so I I started playing the guitar taking guitar lessons and that's kind of where I found my voice and so that's when I started performing publicly I was about 13 years old
7: Mm.
9: and I've always had a ton of support from my parents and my family and my friends and just the people around me, and that's kind of what keeps me going,
2: isn't it? It's interesting because uh your story sounds like a little like my son's where my first child was able to just pick up piano it was very easy, she could just do it. she's very linear, you know, let's just do it, read every note, memorize it, make it happen but my my another child just couldn't do it he he struggled learning to read the music, um, you know, efficiently, quickly, but he could play stuff and do stuff by ear. But then we knew he could sing, but we, he wouldn't sing for us because it, it, doesn't this just what it was with him? It was unfolding his vulnerability. Every level of this, you have to be more and more vulnerable, don't you, McKenna?
9: Yes.
2: Is that hard the for you?
9: takes patience. Yeah. Um, it's. At first, I was always super uncomfortable with singing. I never wanted to perform, but I was, I was always asked to do it. I was constantly asked, and I had to step out of my comfort zone for sure.
2: Did, did, were you, does it scare you still? Um, I mean, it had to have scared for, you to go on this big show.
9: Actually, we, we had our mic check, and it took about 30 minutes. So we were on the stage performing these same songs over and over again for the audience just to, like, test the mics and all the equipment and stuff. Yeah. So we had gotten used to the audience, or at least I had by that time. So I wasn't super nervous until the judges came out and we had to walk back out again.
2: (laughs) Then you go out there and, and you, but you killed it. You, and you were working with, um, the cinematic pop, uh, group. Um, and I guess Rob Gardner is, is one of the composers that's in charge of that. Do you like working with a group or would you prefer to just sing alone?
9: Oh, I I love working with the group. I, I don't mind doing either. Um, definitely it's a, it's a different experience being in front of a like a huge orchestra and a huge choir because i'm used to performing with just my guitar or my piano so i love it i think it's super fun
2: do you um what's your favorite song that you've ever done and talk about do you make up your own music or do you just do covers
9: i mostly do covers i'm not I'm not the best at writing lyrics, but I can write music. Um, I, I arrange music and compose it and stuff like that. And I actually take, like I put my own spin on what I think.
2: Yeah. So, you, you do it your um, way. Yeah. Now tell me about um, Smells like, a Teen, like Teen Spirit. That's a song.
9: Yes. That was awesome to sing. At first it was when I heard it when I figured out that we were gonna be singing that or that I was I was not very excited. I was super nervous because I didn't think I could sing it. I didn't have enough confidence to like hit all those notes and stuff and once I kept practicing it and practicing with the group. I got more comfortable with it, and it's now one of my favorite songs to perform.
7: Is it? Do you um,
2: do you see that you're going to be performing with this group more?
9: I hope so. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah you don't want to, you don't want to lose that opportunity. Well, we'll yeah. let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna listen to the song "Smells Like Teen Spirit." And we'll listen to it on the way out. Then we'll take a break. We'll come back. And I want to continue. I want to find out what your future looks like, what you have, what else, what other goals you have yet to accomplish. We'll continue the discussion, folks. Uh, joining us again, McKenna Breinholt. And uh, this is her song um, with uh, cinematic pop, Smells Like Teen Spirit.
3: talk about good.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Backed by popular demand, Disney's Tarzan swings into the Tuacon Amphitheater this summer. Make memories with your family that will always be in your heart as you enjoy the magic of Tuacon. See Tarzan as never before in a unique outdoor setting that can only be found at Tuacon, with water rushing the stage, Tarzan swinging high above the audience, and heart-pumping music. Join us in the jungle by reserving your tickets at Tuacon.org or by calling 435-652-3300. Tuakon, expect the
4: unforgettable. I discovered kind of the hidden secret to happiness because the reality is I knew now knew that the I will be happy when I will be successful win, when, when I have this win was never going to happen for me. There's a secret to happiness. Discover what it is with cool humans on the Kim Power Stilson Show. But create habits that help you be what you want to be. Listen, weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Talk about good.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That's the voice of McKenna Brian Holt, our guest uh, on the show right now. She was on America's Got Talent as a contestant and was singing with the band Cinematic Pop. And uh, uh, McKenna, thanks so much for being with us.
7: Thank
9: you.
2: 17 years old. um, And so are you allowed to tell us how, how you did on the show and how long you were on the show? Oh, of course. Talk about that.
9: So there were a few auditions before the actual TV audition. Um, We had to send in a few clips, and then we had to audition in Phoenix. And then if we made it through that, we got to be on TV in front of the business. And they actually contacted us. We weren't planning on auditioning. So I had gotten a call a few times from some of the producers asking me to audition or to consider it, and they contacted Rob Gardner and asked him if he would be willing to audition. So we decided we were going to do it, and it was super cool. The judges all said yes. They gave really good feedback. I met Nick Cannon. It was super cool. (laughs) It was a super long process, though. We we waited for a long time um, backstage, and sometimes like things didn't were very organized, and it was super. I don't know, it wasn't super fun.
2: Yeah, you're just performing. Yeah, you're waiting around. I guess waiting for your cue. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah.
9: Yeah, it took hours, but it was, once we got to perform, it was super fun. And we're actually, we're not on the show anymore they, because they, they gave us a contract and we yeah. didn't sign it. So I'm actually glad that it didn't work out
2: because yeah, now you have better things. You have a life. Yeah. yeah and because what they try to do, right, is tie you down to a contract, like, for the rest of your life, basically. Mm-hmm. And you didn't yeah. want to do that. So... You're not on the show, but you would have kept going, it sounds like, because you were doing yeah. okay enough that they wanted to now get you under a contract. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that that's kind of a good first taste. Um, did you ever think you'd get there that fast?
9: I didn't, honestly. But, I mean, I've been pretty happy with what I've been doing. I love performing, and as long as I'm performing, I'm happy. Yeah. So i mean that was
2: that was a big deal for me what do you uh, learn what are you learning about yourself i mean it's it's hard to be i think a young woman in this world uh with especially in the world of music because there's just so much pressure about your body about your looks about your sound um what what did what have you learned about yourself going through all of this
9: that I've learned that i, remember, I I can basically do hard things like i just I really need to push myself to become better and to practice harder it's It's definitely hard sometimes, but I mean, I think everything's turned out great i mean I used to not be able to sing in front of my family,
7: mm-hmm. and now
9: i've i sing in front of ten thousand people, and it's like it's it's awesome it's hard to. It's hard to step out of my comfort zone sometimes, mm. especially I have a hard time public speaking, yeah, so whenever I sing in public, it just it helps me kind of express myself, which is something I've learned, which is awesome
2: I've interviewed quite a few younger um talents like you, and a lot of them end up having a little anxiety, right, a little social anxiety and yeah. And so, and then all of a sudden they're thrust into this spotlight. Um, how have you been able to kind of, you know, manage yours? How do you not freak out?
7: Um, just the
9: feedback that I've gotten after I perform and like how people tell me that they feel once they hear a certain song mm. kind of keeps me going. Or like the comments that I get on my videos, people saying that, if some cries through the song or like cool cool, cool like comments like that like keep me wanting to perform even though
7: yeah.
2: it used to scare me so bad. The the website you have a website, com. is that where they go and they can hear your songs and then they they comment on those?
9: Yes. They it has links to all my songs that I've put on YouTube.
2: What would you suggest as a to the parents out there Um, whose kids are struggling with music but want to be musicians who are want to be singers or vocalists. What advice would you give the the parents to kind of help push, you know, this desire a little bit with their children?
9: I definitely would say to be patient for sure. Um, My parents have been super patient with me and they've had confidence in me which has helped me be more confident in myself. And they've they've told me to practice. They've, they've kind of been on my back a little bit, just like <laughs> making sure I'm doing what I'm doing. To the point where I like I don't I, I just want to do it myself now. I don't need <laughs> Get off my to back be reminded Mom. To, to be, to, I don't <laughs> need to be reminded to practice myself, but I really just being there for them and having faith in them.
2: Yeah. What would you tell um to a teenage girl that is was struggling with what you were struggling with just a few years ago, believing in herself, not sure if she can do it, but feeling driven to go try
9: um, I honestly I would tell her that the reaction is incredible, like being on the stage and seeing how people react listening to you sing is one of the best feelings in the world. Mm. And it's sometimes it's really hard and you mess up for sure, but like, if you keep working hard, you'll eventually get to where you want to be.
2: That's cool. McKenna, what, what's next? What are your next goals, your dreams? Uh, what's next?
9: I actually have a... Um, Cinematic Pop Concert in August. I'm super excited about that. It's at the Mesa Center for the Arts, and it's more people than our last concert, which I'm excited. It sold out really fast. Cool. I'm super excited for that. And then I have my first album that should be coming out by, like, September 1st. It's called My Savior's Love, and it's just my erasements of, like, my favorite hymns and some of my favorite primary songs. So I'm excited to release that. Cool. And I also have, I'm performing at Swiss Pays in Midway um, on September 1st and 2nd. So on my website, it has the times that I'm performing. And yeah, I'm excited for those things.
2: McKenna, I appreciate you. I think you're a great talent. And I I need you to get here to Utah, and then I'll have my Mm -hmm. son meet you. And then it'll just be love (laughs) at first sight. And then you guys can make music together. <laughs> anyway, that's all in my head. Hey, uh, McKenna, thanks so much. Great work. Keep it up. And I, I'm I'm going to try to get up to Midway to see that uh, performance there. Her name's McKenna Brineholt. Go to the website McKennaBrineholt.com. Find out about her upcoming release, uh, uh, "My Savior's Love," and also her concert schedules and everything going on in the news. We will take a break. My friends, come back and visit our good brother and down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Friends, they're on top of the world. Uh, a, because Spencer is uh, got to talk Big Twelve yesterday. B, because Jerem is back from Weeblo's camp. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies. Uh, find out what's going on with them. Hello, gentlemen.
1: What's up, Spencer? will be here in a minute.
2: Jerome, I haven't talked to you since you got back from uh, Weeblo's camp. Here we are, man. Wait, did you Aren't learn? Did you learn any good cheers? No. You did, didn't you? But you don't want to talk about them. True. I understand. Yeah. They're embarrassing. They are embarrassing. Did you do a round of applause where you clap in a round circle while you're clapping?
1: We did not. That is a classic. That's a
2: classic. Hey, um, (laughs) what what did you learn at Weeblos camp?
1: I learned that I don't...
2: Like Weeblos?
1: (laughs) No, I I like my guys. Okay, Yeah. yeah you don't like with other kids we They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun so, is to be. that all you learned outdoors, I guess? I, I learned that I don't like uh poorly constructed roads. Yeah. In the Nether regions of Hobble Creek Canyon. Uh-huh.
2: I Hob- Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. It was it's bumpy. It bumpy. was bumpy. Bottomed out a couple times. Hard it's hard water. on the Yeah, it's hard on the car. Yeah. Do you like um did you were you able to influence and change the lives of these young we blow scouts
1: every week, man.
2: Every week, you, every week—that's what we. You take their innocent little heart, hand. I mean, their innocent it's, little life in your hands. Basically, babysitting, but yeah, yeah. But with a scout it's volunteer
1: babysitting once a week on Wednesdays.
2: That's good for ten year olds. Well, and I think it's really fantastic. You took a day off. You took a work day off to go do to go serve your church,
1: and it was a significant day. In BYU athletics. It was in huge. Terms of the Big 12 decided to explore expansion.
2: Yeah, as Donald so, Trump said, huge.
1: Huge. Which, yeah, this is interesting. Talk so, about it. Today, talk about good. Talk so, about good. So, today on BYU Sports Nation, we're going to explore the knocks against BYU. What's holding There are no knocks against BYU, BYU <gasps> back. Hold right? on, another the, voice. There is a perception of, okay, certain things like Sunday play. And is that a knock? Yeah, BYU TV or whatever it is. Right, right? Cosmo. we're going to address those and we will resolve all of those. Excellent. Geography, like we'll discuss all those and tell you why uh, there's actually a solution or it's not as big as a deal as you think. Notably, Sunday play, like this, is always brought up against BYU. The yeah. numbers say otherwise, Matt. They do. We'll spell it out for you. Good. So not, they don't compete that much on Sunday. We'll tell you specific numbers.
2: So, so you're going to blow up. The things that could potentially stop BYU from being brought into the expanded Big Twelve.
1: We have
5: a Titanic narrative planned for the show, Matt. <laughs> wow! And there is a happy ending. Really? For that amazing feat of construction.
2: Did you guys write that down? A Titanic. What'd you call it? That was fantastic.
5: A Titanic narrative.
2: Narrative. Yep. Um, do you? Do you? This is good news, right? This is it looks like the Big 12 will be at least exploring, growing the expansion or expanding the Big 12.
5: Oh, it's not just exploring like it seems imminent at (laughs) this point.
2: See, okay, this is good. And to think that uh, to think that Jerem had missed your earlier discussion the day he was gone.
5: Well, I was going to say Jerem actually did himself a favor because we had to wait two and a half hours for a conference call to start. It was scheduled at 1. It didn't start until, I think, 3.30 in the afternoon.
7: Mm. And they
5: played classical music for two and a half hours hours there was one interruption by an operator saying uh adriel is adriel there <laughs> and so like all BYU fans became were like tweeting out like Ooh, adriel are you there <laughs> it was crazy it was it was amazing okay the, the interaction that the byu fans had But jeremy he got to miss all that and then when he got out of weeblos camp it was just like Boom. all right so i'm caught up to date in like five minutes by reading some tweets
2: by the way was adriel up at the camp did they yeah, find him? Did they ever find Adriel? Adriel,
1: yeah. <laughs>
5: Yo
7: Adriel. Yo
1: Adriel.
5: Yo
2: Adriel. <laughs> that I love Rocky Balboa yes. and Adriel. Um what about so you're going to cover all of the Big 12 possibilities and possible deal breakers. Mm-hmm. And, and just so you know, I mean, just if you could just give us like an abbreviated version uh BYU's a go.
1: Like they they appear okay, the Big 12 laid out some criteria, right? BYU hits it out of the park on every one of them. So wow. why isn't BYU a shoe in to be in? Because there are some people that don't have them uh, necessarily in. Does it take two?
2: Does it ta- Are they taking two teams, four teams
1: They'll maybe? Take two to four teams.
2: Okay. They should make the top two at least. They
1: should get in. And we both believe BYU will be invited. But I, I'm not going to fully embrace this, even though I've changed my Twitter avatar, <laughs> until BYU actually gets in.
2: You're not. You're not There's going. There's also
1: to. a fly in the studio. This yes. is a real issue. I'm totally distracted right now. Can,
2: Can have I give a fly you? Swatter? Do you guys want some I'm advice? Serious. Fly just, into the light. Just put some ointment out. They always get caught in the ointment. Fly in the ointment. Trust me.
5: <laughs>
2: hey, um, talk about uh, Kyle Collinsworth.
5: How about Kyle
1: Collinsworth? Yeah,
2: that's, that's pretty cool. He's cool. tough to make the team. Yeah, uh, but the guaranteed part is
1: money. He's getting yeah. paid, and uh, it appears to be. A significant amount, yeah, good uh, chunk of for money for a guy that isn't on an NBA roster. That's cool. He's supposed to make the team, and so the Mavs will retain his rights. But very cool for Kyle Collinsworth. Uh, it's great to get a shot, you know, with the Mavs.
2: I'm, I, I thought you guys would be interviewing him on your show today.
1: We're trying. He's, he's a busy man. No,
2: I'm sure. I'm sure. He's not got to it.
1: mention BYU and Utah announced they'll play in basketball, neutral site, Salt Lake City, what? 2018. Say what?
2: 2018. Uh, yeah, in wow. Salt
1: Lake, there's go, there's a new tournament. Not tournament. Uh, round robin round robin over three years with BYU Utah, Utah State Weber State Hmm. at the home of the Utah Jazz Vivint Smart Home
2: Arena excellent so neutral site that way everyone can make money Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: we're all making money
2: excellent well that's a great show you're locked and loaded
1: of Sports Illustrated on Mo Longy the 400 pound Tongan for BYU football Yeah. yeah she's
5: going to join us as well
2: you know 400 pounds
5: 425 to be exact
2: You know, that's just not healthy.
5: Well, have you seen him? No. He looks pretty healthy to me. Does he? Yes.
2: Don't tell him I said anything. I don't want to start anything.
1: He's on his LDS mission in uh, Phoenix. Okay, don't call him or anything. She went there and talked. Okay,
2: wow. This is cool. That's great. Um, Well, it's a good show. That's all I got to say. And it starts in, it's only in about eight minutes.
5: Let's do it. Eight minutes and 39 seconds.
2: So you guys, we'll let you go get waxed on, ready to go. Um, Thank you. Appreciate your time. Remember we, who you are. Stay
5: sweet. We love Matt Townsend.
2: Well, you know what? Matt Townsend loves you too. <laughs> and Mo Longie. Yeah.
5: Yeah. A lot to love there. Keeping it clean.
2: <laughs> All 420. Thanks, guys. Knock 'em dead. Good Have night. a great show. 420. I remember when I weighed 420. That was a little different though.
8: Why? You weren't in football shape.
2: No, I'm I was in the shape of a man. What do you mean? Think you were saying I was in bad shape? Can, Arguably, can, I mean, I don't care. Even if you're in great shape, 420 pounds is a lot of weight to have one little heart have to push the blood through. Well, he is six seven. Well, then one big overinflated heart. That's crazy. That's I'm telling you. That's why someday I'm pretty sure I don't want to start a crazy fury here, but I'm pretty sure football is going to be banned someday. Right, and then all the athletes are just going to be small, skinny people, runners. You're not, you're not going to have to have a food chow line to f- f- plump people up anymore. I'm just saying, head injuries. As I tap on my head, that's all I got to say about that. Hey, um, by the way, we we found out earlier that they found a two thousand pound, or two thousand year old. 22-pound ball of butter, if a ball of butter, also known as a butter ball, if it can last for 2,000 years, imagine what it's doing in your arteries. Just a little health update for you. Hey, um, we were talking about an inmate involved in a plan. Listen to this. These kids nowadays, and we'll have video of it in a minute, but an inmate was involved in a plan to fill a football full of drugs and and a cell phone and have it thrown over the fence into a Michigan prison okay well it didn't go so well so the video we'll just play the video for you they're they're out on the field and um the guy'll get the ball throw it and and you'll see how it goes whoa somebody actually just Wrong video. That's the cops <clears throat> pulling up. I think that was the cops pulling up to get him. Um, Hold on, hike. Takes the ball, drops back, hits the. F-
8: <laughs> wow. Should I cut it out right
2: now? Yeah, just cut it That's before he gets shot. It's like he didn't even. But, it. So he he tried to throw the ball. Into I think the, he just
8: hiked it under him into the fence.
2: Well, that wasn't going to work. Yeah. That was doomed to fail the entire time. Well, I mean – Now the guy's got to go to jail three to five years in prison. 22-year-old Miles Alexander sentenced for his role in the plot. Never just hike a ball over a fence. Well, also – never Just kick it.
8: Well, also never stuff it full of heroin and try and give it to a prisoner.
2: It contained marijuana, heroin, phones, and chargers. That's why he couldn't throw it. It weighed probably 30 pounds. It's a lot of
8: stuff. It gives you better leverage when you hi- try and hike I it I think over, he should yeah.
2: have probably used two balls or four because once you've loaded up a 10-pound ball, they're really hard to hike. Take it from me. I, I used to load balls up for the prison. <laughs> it landed between two security fences but short of the prison exercise yard. D'oh! I was that close. Uh, Kristen Moore, by the way, who threw the football, was convicted of furnishing contraband to a prisoner and the 24-year-old Moore was uh, paroled in November. So he just barely got out and now he's going back in. See, the lesson learned, never throw contraband into the prison yard. Ben, remember that because you will be in and out of that yard quite a bit. As you know, we always like to end the show on a happy note, so a hero story. Who better to be our hero? Uh, Listen to this. Cody Vincent's car was smashed last week after a hit-and-run accident, so she lugged her twin boys to a rental car company, according to CNN, but the Oklahoma mom didn't find only... She... Didn't find only a vehicle at Enterprise Rent-A-Car in Tulsa. She found a young man, she says, in one of the most compassionate and caring people I've ever met. And she put that on her Facebook post. She tells Today uh, the Today Show that the car company sent a 25-year-old employee, John Goodlett, to her home to pick her up and her 11-month-old baby and bring them to the office. She didn't have a double stroller, so she asked Goodlett to carry one of her sons in, and once inside... Vincent figured out he'd, had, he'd hand the baby back to her, or figured he'd hand the baby back to her, and let me fend for myself. She said instead, he held on to this young baby and, and started working on her order on the computer. Vincent was so touched that she took a photo of him holding the baby and posted it online, where the image quickly went viral on Facebook. So this mom is so impressed with just the simple act of courtesy, honestly, and taking care of her baby. I mean, should we be that surprised by someone's natural love? Anyway, the mom uh, says every time she thinks about it, uh, she just she gets emotional about it. She says it's a natural love um, that uh, people have for each other. And so she just wanted to do a little shout-out to Cody Vincent. Um, anyway, folks, life is tough as it is, right? And as we hear the news and we listen to our political candidates, a lot of us are wondering... Is it ever going to get better? Well, it can get better when you, just as one person, decide to make a difference in another person's life. And you can do it at work. You can do it at home. You can do it waiting in line. Don't do it at the prison yard trying to throw a football over the fence with contraband. Instead, just serve each other. That's the goal of the show is to help you find the motivation, the goals, the things you know you need to do in your life. And uh, that's why we do the show. Come listen to us again tomorrow. We'll be back. More ideas, more tools, more information to help you live a healthier, happier life. Until tomorrow, make it a great one and take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.